Amen. Thank you. Let's get our Bibles out and open to John chapter 20. As Stephanie's already read the passage to us, to place it before us. By the way, that's page 1249, I believe, on that in the Pew Bible in front of you. Page 1249. Now today we're going to recognize our graduates, but we're going to commission them at the end of the service. So um, just in case you're wondering why they're all sitting up here looking so good, uh, we will close our service out by commissioning them. So make sure that you are a part of that. Let's pray, and then we'll study this amazing text. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you this morning that you've allowed us to come before you into your presence, Lord. We thank you for worship through baptism. We thank you, Lord, through worship, through song. And now, Lord, we thank you that we can worship you in your word. And we thank you for this perfect, inerrant gift that you've given us. And Lord, we pray that you'd give us ears to hear this morning. Lord, that we might respond rightly to what you have to say to us. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you have your listening guide, we're going to begin this morning by just remember, I told you that this whole section of John is about how different people react differently to the resurrection and to the crucifixion. And John is showing us these different uh, people. As last week, we got to look at Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. And today we look at Mary and the disciples that come. So the first thing on your handout is that Jesus is going to invite us into his story of completion. His story of completion. Now, The scripture says in John chapter 20, verse 1, that it was the first day of the week that the Sabbath had passed. Mary Magdalene, uh, the other gospels tell us, was accompanied by some other ladies, but John focuses specifically on her. And as she is waiting for the dawn to break, for the the first day of the week to come forth, um, it's as if she... She just can't stand it. And so it's still dark. And she goes out to the garden tomb seeking after Jesus. Now it's early. Now remember uh, what's been going on the last several days. In particular, the last 24, 36 hours. The day prior, Jesus had hung on the cross from about about nine in the morning to three in the afternoon. And it had been a very traumatic, exhausting experience for Mary and for the other followers of Jesus. And here it is dark. We know that it would have been dangerous at this time for a woman to be out alone while it was dark. Um, But she couldn't wait any longer. She needed to get to the tomb. She needed to find some closure. She was no doubt still reeling from the death of Jesus, probably still in some form of shock. What had happened the day prior was 
it was impossible for her to comprehend, to put into perspective that everything that that they had worked for, everything that she had worked for, everything that she had experienced, everything that she had seen Jesus do and the ways in which he had impacted her life now all seemed to just disappear in a, like a puff of smoke. And to top it off, just the, the cruelty uh, of, by which he was murdered was this horrific dark cloud that no doubt hung over her head. And so this woman who's coming to the tomb this morning is a woman who is, she's deeply shaken. We can, we can say she's at the very least deeply shaken. Now, remember that all of this had, had sort of transpired in such rapid fire events. It was only a week earlier, Palm Sunday, that Jesus rode in like the reigning king, like the hero, as people shouted and screamed and declared his kingship and, and waved palm branches at him. And now suddenly, everything has come crashing down. I believe she probably has been up all night based on the fact that John makes the point of telling us that it was still dark. It would have been the sensible thing to wait until daybreak. It would have been the safe thing. It certainly would have been the, the right and proper thing because you wouldn't want to be caught violating the laws of the Sabbath. And so it just seems to me that She'd probably been up all night, just unable to rest. In Mark 16, Mark tells us that when she came, uh, she was accompanied by some other women, but they were carrying with them spices. So we already know that Joseph and Nicodemus had taken care of uh, the best they could in a hurried fashion, anointing the body of Jesus and placing him in the tomb. And so they're coming, Mary in particular, she's coming as an act of love. And concern. I ask the question, why, why is Mary so zealous to get to the tomb? And I thought about some of you and how you can relate to the feelings you feel when you lose somebody who's important to you. The way in which we we just linger in the hospital room after your loved one has passed away or in that hospice room. Nobody's talking. We're all just quietly sitting there. And what I'm not going to do in that moment is hurry you out the door. They're gone. They've passed away. There's nothing that can be done. You know that. Yet you don't want to leave. You want those moments of closure. 
You take great care in selecting what articles of clothing your loved one will be buried in. The way in which their hair is fixed or the jewelry that they may wear or whatever the case may be. Why? It's important to you. It matters to you. It's, it's somehow helping in the healing process. Now, you see, Mary is, is grieving in that way. She needs closure. She needs to, to, to find some... There, there's some significance in this loss to her that she needs to deal with. So it's still dark. She shows up with spices. She's coming to serve. She's coming to, to take care of some, some details. And when she arrives at the, at the tomb, what does she find? She finds that everything she came to take care of has already been taken care of. She doesn't realize it, but neither do we. When we come to the tomb... When me and you come to the empty tomb, when we come to this moment in our lives where we're confronted by this empty tomb, what it signifies is that everything that we needed to be accomplished in our life, every, every action that needed to be taken in order for us to flourish, for us to find victory and wholeness, every single detail, every act that needed to be accomplished when we get to that moment, we find it's already been done. Jesus already did it. The mantra of the Christian life is done. It's not due, it's, it's done. When we, when we come to the tomb, Jesus isn't asking us to, to, to raise him from the dead. God's not saying, if you can... If you can behave well enough, if you can accomplish enough things, if you can obey these rules, if you can, if you can walk successfully according to these principles, if you can do all these things well enough, good enough, if you can devote yourself long enough and work hard enough, then maybe then you'll be able to experience resurrection power. That's not how it works. The way it works is we come to the tomb bewildered and broken and needing some form of healing and, and cleansing and closure. And when we get to the tomb, we find the stones rolled away and everything that needed to be done is already accomplished. It's done. We don't, we don't come to, to do. We come to realize the reality that it's done. You see, the, the question is, when Mary comes to the tomb, considering all of the things that she has experienced, all the ways that Jesus has intersected with her life, all the things that, that he has, uh, uh, she's seen him do, that she has, has personally experienced, all of those things you would think would come to bear the realization that every single thing he ever said, he did. And yet, over and over and over, she's heard him say that on the third day, he's going to rise. 
She sees the tomb. She sees the stone rolled away. And yet what doesn't dawn on her is, oh yeah, it's the third day. He did say that on the third day he would rise. He did say over and over. She she doesn't say what I expect her to say. I would expect Mary to see that tomb and say, he did it. He did it. But she doesn't say that. Instead, she says, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb. And we do not know where they have laid him. Now, is that the right response to the empty tomb? Well, no, probably not. But I think if we're honest this morning, it's your response and my response initially. When we initially come to the tomb, we don't, we don't understand. When we are initially confronted with the reality and the power and the authority of Jesus, we don't get it. Even this story. As I've been just meditating on this passage over and over for the last couple of weeks, thinking about this morning, all I've been thinking about is how You've, you've heard this story. You know this story. Some of you have memorized this story. But yet, so many people still don't get this story. You know it. You've heard it. But you don't get it. You see, Jesus is doing something in spite of Mary. Just like he did in my life. And just like he does in your life. See, number two, what we need to think about is even when we have the wrong expectations. Even when we have the wrong expectations. Even when he's inviting us into the story of completion. When we bungle it all up. Look at verse 10 again. But then the disciples went away again to their own homes but Mary stood outside the tomb and she's weeping and she as she weeps she stoops down and looks into the tomb and she saw two angels sitting in white and at the head of uh, the one another at the feet while the body of Jesus where it had been lain then they said to her woman why are you weeping and she said because they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him And when she said this, she turned and she saw Jesus, but she didn't know that it was him. And Jesus said, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And then she, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary, Mary. And she turned and said, Rabboni, teacher, master. And Jesus said, don't cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to the father and to your father and to my God and to your God. And so Mary came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. Now listen. 
This is a spiritual seeker if there ever was one. This is, she has come there seeking. The sun's not even up. She's the first one there. She beats everyone else there. She has come seeking God. She's looking for Jesus. But she has the wrong expectation. She's looking for a dead Jesus. But look at what happens. Notice the fact that she, that she is so convinced that someone has taken the body away, and yet it has no bearing on the way the Lord responds to her. Jesus doesn't sit back and wait for her to figure it out. He doesn't just let her wander around. She's weeping. She's broken. She's blind. Spiritually blind. She doesn't... She looks into the tomb. There's two angels in the tomb. She doesn't say, uh, wait, hold on a second. There's angels in the tomb. Hey. She doesn't even break stride. She's so fixated on Jesus that anything other than him, even angels, doesn't rattle her, doesn't change her focus. She is utterly and completely fixated on Jesus and so she has a conversations with, with angels and she's oblivious. Jesus is standing there. She presumes he's the gardener. She's oblivious because she has the wrong expectation. But why is she weeping? She's weeping because she also has the wrong emotions. You see... Not only does she come to the tomb with the wrong expectations, she's got the wrong emotions. Boy, I, I think so many times we come to Jesus and we come with wrong expectations and wrong emotions. I mean, what is Mary believing in this moment? She's believing that she is in the midst of an utter disaster. That her life is in shambles. There's angels in front of her. There's the risen Christ behind her. And she is just broken, not with tears of joy, but with tears of sorrow and brokenness because everything has fallen apart. She feels alone in this moment. She feels abandoned in this moment. Life is not the way it was supposed to go. Things have not worked out the way she had planned. When she meets Jesus and thinks he's the gardener, she accuses him of being a grave robber. If you've taken him away, tell me where you've put him. It just reminds me that sometimes it's hard to hear truth through tears. Tears. 
It's a good lesson for us to remember that when God gives us the opportunity to care for each other and and there's a lot of emotion in the moment, it's always good to... I think women just understand this so much better than men. Women just appreciate, they call it a good cry. I don't really know what that means, honestly. I'm sure I've never experienced a good cry. I've never said it that way for sure. But I just know this. I know that when, when someone's weeping, whether it's tears of joy or tears of sorrow, well, just put your arm around them and, and let them cry. And then when they're done, you can talk. Mary Magdalene is, has come genuinely seeking Jesus. She's, she's compassionate and loving. You, you, you tell so much about her by the way she responds to Jesus when she finds out who he is. Because he calls her by name. She says one word and then the next thing we find is Jesus saying, do not cling to me. And what does that tell you? She dove to his feet and just wrapped her arms around his legs like a little child. I mean, she, is, she has such a heart that's so open and bare, and this moment is so raw. She's utterly sincere in her devotion. But yet she's utterly spiritually blind. She has no idea God's working right in the midst of her. She feels like God's abandoned her. And in the very moment she feels abandoned by God, he's standing right next to her. You ever been there? You ever felt like God wasn't there? Like somehow he's forgotten about you. Somehow he doesn't understand what you're going through. He doesn't understand the trial that you're facing. And yet in the midst of, of, of a moment where we feel utterly and completely alone and abandoned. Jesus is standing right there. We just don't know it. Because we have the wrong expectation. We have the wrong emotion. So many times in my life, I think I'm standing in a place of darkness and death. I'm, I feel as if I'm looking into a tomb of emptiness and loss. And in that moment, it's like I hear this whisper calling my name, reminding me that he's, he's right there. So it's not just when we have the wrong expectation, the wrong emotions. What about when we come with the wrong conclusions? We come, we, we just, we take what we see with our physical eyes and we, we completely come to this utterly wrong conclusion. 
We take the pieces and add them up the way it makes sense to us. We formulate uh, a meaning and purpose behind our situation and circumstances. We reason out in our own head why things are the way they are. How does she figure out who Jesus is? Is it through the examination of the tomb? Does she go up to the tomb and examine how heavy the stone is and, 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 and do some calculations as to how it might have been moved? Does she, we get all these details about the, the grave clothes and the way that they're laid, but she doesn't seem to respond to that at all. She's oblivious to the fact that there's angels there. What leads her to the right conclusion? What What is the solution to her wrong conclusion? Is it anything that she does? Is it anything that she figures out? No. Jesus breaks right into the midst of her utterly wrong conclusion. He is unwilling to let us live blind to who he is and where he is and what he's doing. He doesn't allow her to just languish in all of this. He he enters into the situation. He says, woman, why are you weeping? And whom do you seek? She accuses him of being a grave robber. And his response to that is, he calls her by name. He knows her name. He knows exactly who she is. He knows everything about her. Through everything that has occurred in his life over the last week, through all the significance of all the moments, through all the emotion, through all the tension and the pressure and the sin of the world being laid upon him, through all of it, there he's standing. To this little nobody, Mary. And he knows her name. He's the one that opens her eyes to who he is. She didn't do it. She would have never discovered what happened. She would have never figured out. Jesus is the one who, by grace breaks into her ignorance and breaks into her sorrow, breaks into her confusion and makes himself known. But isn't that what John's already told us? Remember back in John chapter 6, verse 44, where the scripture said, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. You don't figure out who Jesus is. Jesus shows us who he is. It's, It's not us. Salvation does not come by us finding God. That's not how that happens. It's by God finding us. She is totally clueless. And Jesus just keeps asking questions. She doesn't initially recognize his voice. And then he calls her name. And there was something about hearing him say her name. that caused her to know exactly who he was. See, that's the resurrection story. 
It's that when we come to the empty tomb, when we come to this moment in time of brokenness and, 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 and weeping and hurting and confusion, and we have wrong expectations, wrong emotions, we've come to wrong conclusions, we've, we've done everything wrong, and Jesus isn't content to just leave us in our languishing in our situation. No. We come to the tomb and we find out that everything that needs to be done is done. But we don't find that out until he reveals it to us. We don't figure that out on our own. You know, Mary gets there first. Seems significant. She goes and tells Peter and John, and what do they do? They get in a foot race. Everybody's trying to get there as quickly as they can, but it seems as if, you know, they want to get there first. But here's the thing about coming to the tomb. When you get to the tomb, it doesn't matter who's first because whoever gets there first is already second. Because when you get to the tomb, Jesus is already there. You can't beat him to the tomb. No matter how fast you run, no matter how hard you try, listen, when you get there with all your plans and all your preparations and bring all your spices or all the things that you think you need to do or all the things in your life that need to be fixed or all the ideas in your head, you bring it all, run as fast as you want, carry as much as you want, get a wagon behind you, drive a truck if you want to. It doesn't matter. When you get to the tomb, the stone's rolled away, it's empty and he's already there and everything that needs to be done is done. It's all done. And still yet, we don't get him. We don't see him. We don't understand. We, we misperceive things. And he relentlessly continues to break into our lives until we see him for who he is. My goodness. You know, God doesn't do anything for show. Nothing. He doesn't. He doesn't do things just to, to show that he can do them. Everything that he does is not about being spectacular, but it's about a purpose. There's always a purpose behind everything God does. And certainly behind everything that he says. And specifically behind everything that's recorded in Scripture. It's not just what the Bible says. It's the way the Bible says the things that it says. It's the little details that thrill my soul when I think about the fact that Jesus doesn't say, I have resurrected. He says, I am the resurrection. There's a huge difference. It would have been utterly and completely true if he'd have said, I have resurrected. But insufficient. Instead, he says, I am the resurrection. You see, because here's what we wonder. We wonder, God, we get to the tomb. And we can relate to Mary in that, in that tomb experience in our life. It's that moment where we're, we are reeling from the pain of our circumstances and situation. The reeling of the collapse of the, the, 
the kingdom of expectations that we've built that were wrong. We're responding in the emotion of wrong emotions to those wrong expectations. We've drawn all these wrong conclusions. We get to this moment and we're standing before this tomb and we're thinking, how, if only I could, if only I could take back the, the last decade of my marriage. If only I could start over again. If I could go back and raise my children again, boy, wouldn't I do it differently. If I could get back all those moments that slipped through my fingers, all the things that at the time I just didn't appreciate, I didn't know how valuable they were and And now they're gone and I can't get them back. If I could just have another shot at this thing. If there were just some way that I could start fresh. That's what the tomb moment is. That's what the empty tomb. It's for that moment. The Bible says in Romans chapter 6, verse 4. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. Now, just stay with me for a second. Just think about this verse up there. You see that word newness? That, that word in the, in the Greek language, it means renewal. It, it means to be utterly remade or renewed. That we should walk in a renewed life. Not a new version of the old life, but, but an utterly new life. You see, Jesus was resurrected. It was a resurrection. It's not a resuscitation. He wasn't brought back to life in the sense that a person can be brought back to life by CPR. It wasn't that God the Father reached down from heaven and began to do compression on his chest and blow air back into his lungs. No. He wasn't resuscitated. He was resurrected. It's newness of life. It's, it's all brand new. You see, if you're brought back to life, as, as, as great of a blessing is as resuscitation is, it's not resurrection. You're resuscitated back into the life that you had prior to death. Resurrection means you come alive to a new life. You don't come back to the life you had prior to death. You, you are The old life dies and a new life is born. It's newness of life. You see, Paul goes on in Romans chapter 8 to say this. 
But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. You see that the the, the once carnal life, the, the life that was just lived in the flesh dies and you're then born in the spirit and God breathes his spirit inside of us and we're raised to newness of life. That's what the tomb experience is. That's what it was for Mary. For this nobody lady Jesus invites her into his story of completion. She doesn't understand it. She has no idea the significance of what the invitation is. She thinks it's amazing and wonderful. She knows that. She's there full of zeal, but she has no idea. She has no idea of the significance of what it's going to lead to. And and though she comes with wrong expectations, just like you and me, though she responds in wrong emotions, just like we do, though she comes to completely wrong conclusions, just like we do, Jesus comes to her with power of transformation. Oh, my goodness. Who is this Mary Magdalene? This Mary from the town of Magdala, the little fishing village in Galilee. In Luke chapter 8, the Bible tells us that Jesus freed her from seven demons. Was she struggling from mental illness? Was there some physical illness was there sexual sin we don't know all the details but here's what we know it was bad it was bad she was a terribly broken woman when she met Jesus she was no doubt notorious in her past and Jesus when he met her he healed her and he forgave her and she loved him And he adopted her into his kingdom as her beloved daughter. But she didn't understand what that meant. She hadn't come to the fullness of that moment. And so Mary, she stood there in that that graveyard, in that garden. She stood there at that tomb. She wasn't going anywhere. She hadn't been to sleep. Nobody was talking her out of it. She didn't care how dangerous it was or how tired she was. She wasn't afraid. She also wasn't afraid to cry. She wasn't afraid to to show her emotion. She wasn't afraid to beg. Well, what have you done with his body? She she didn't she wasn't afraid to approach men who at this in this culture would have been totally inappropriate. She went straight up to him and began to she wanted answers. She wasn't afraid. No. She wasn't going home until she saw Jesus. Where are Peter and John? They went home. The disciples could go home, but not Mary. She couldn't go home. 
We know what happens in the book of Acts. We see God do amazing things with Peter and with John, who we've just spent over a year studying through his gospel. But I'll be honest with you. I'd rather be more like Mary. You see, Peter and John don't get it. Just like we don't get it. Mary didn't get it. But then Jesus made sure that she did. He wasn't going to let her stand at that tomb. In all the ways that she had bungled this thing up. Think about you and me. How many ways have we bungled this thing up? How many things have you heard in church? How many times have you read something in Scripture? How many times have you, have you, have you been utterly convinced of something being true and yet you find yourself at these tomb ex experiences in your life where it's as if you never heard it. All you can see is the disaster around you. All you can see is how broken everything is and how wrong everything's gone and how mixed up everything is. And there's Jesus standing right there. And you know what he does? He doesn't leave you there in your confusion. He breaks into that moment. He taps you on the shoulder and says, hey, remember me? I've got this thing. I've got this. It's going to be okay. I've done everything that needs to be done. Listen, some of you think you're so far from, from God that he, he, he's so frustrated with you, so outdone with you, so upset with you. And You know what Jesus said to Mary? He said, don't cling to me. He said, go and tell my brothers where I am. He didn't say go and tell the deserters. He didn't say, go and tell those useless scoundrels. He didn't say, go tell the chickens. He didn't say, go tell. Listen, they're at home. And he said, go tell my brothers that I'm here. You're not too far from him. You're never too far from him. You can't get too far from him. All you have to do is come to the tomb and see that it's empty. Bring all your hurt, all your pain, all your confusion, all your emotion. See for yourself who he is. Let's stand, bow our heads.